to Tea Tonic and Toxin, a book club and podcast for anyone who wants to explore the best mysteries and thrillers ever written. I'm your host, Sarah Harrison. And I'm your host, Carolyn Daughters. Pour yourself a cup of tea, a gin and tonic, but not a toxin, and join us on a journey through 19th and 20th century mysteries and thrillers, every one of them a game changer. Carolyn, we're back with Dan Drake. Yay! I'm so excited to talk more about The Nine Tailors by Dorothy Sayers and learn more about Dan. I am too. But before we jump back into that, um, we want to mention our sponsor today. This is a fabulous sponsor, Linden Botanicals. Linden Botanicals is a Colorado-based company that sells the world's healthiest herbal teas and extracts. Their team has traveled the globe to find the herbs that offer the best science-based support for stress relief, energy, memory, mood, kidney health, joint health, digestion, and inflammation. U.S. orders over $75 ship free. To learn more, visit lindenbotanicals.com and use the code MYSTERY to get 15% off your first order. Thank you, Linden Botanicals. And I want to also thank uh, our listener for the episode. That's Lisa Mahoney. Lisa Mahoney is based in Littleton, Colorado, and she has been active on uh, social media, I'd say. She uh, has been active just generally. She's been to our site. She found a link to purchase a copy of The Nine Tailors found a problem a potential problem with the link and pointed it out so thank you lisa yeah uh super helpful and um yeah i think she's gonna be listening to these nine tailors episodes so i wanted to welcome her welcome lisa and we want to welcome you with a beautiful stunning tea tonic and toxin sticker and you too dear listener can be a listener of the month and get such a gorgeous sticker for yourself just check us out let us know you're out there um, on our website, teetonicandtoxin.com, or on social media at teetonicandtoxin. Mm-hmm. So I want to introduce our guest. Uh, it's the second episode we have done with Dan Drake. Dan Drake was born in Los Angeles two months after Pearl Harbor. A year or so after, his family moved to the Bay Area, where he's lived since, with notably rare exceptions. Those exceptions being Portland, Oregon, where he took a degree in biology at Reed College, UC San Diego for studies in biology, and San Diego State. At UC Berkeley, he studied in the newly renamed Department of Electrical Engineering and Computer Science, where he earned an MS and worked at a couple computerish jobs. In 1982, he and some very sharp programmers started a software company you may have heard of. It was for those fashionable new personal computers. The company's called Autodesk, and that venture succeeded and has gone on succeeding for more than 40 years under the same name. Now, Dan's parents were Sherlock Holmes fans, and Dan grew up in a home filled with Holmesiana. His father belonged to a local affiliate of the Baker Street Irregulars, for which he wrote a few pieces of Sherlockian fanfic. Dan found a book by Dorothy L. Sayers, I believe when you were growing up, called Unpopular Opinions, and then he read Whose Body? By good fortune, Dan read the Lord Peter Whimsey books more or less in order. Dan eventually joined a new news group dedicated to Lord Peter. When he learned about the Lord Peter, I'm sorry, the Peter Whimsy companion he gave up, his production of notes on the Whimsy corpus. Dan also collects Sayer Ziana 
and on a few occasions he has attended conventions of the Dorothy L. Sayers Society in England, along with one held at Wheaton College in Illinois. Today, Dan lives in Mill Valley, California, under redwood trees on a steep hillside with his wife of many years, and he also has two adult children. Welcome, Dan. Welcome, Dan. Welcome back. Thank you. Very glad to be back. Yeah. We have a lot to talk about in this episode because we just scratched the surface in the last one. So to make sure we're all on the same page, I'm going to read a short summary of The Nine Tailors. The Nine Tailors by Dorothy L. Sayers is the ninth mystery novel featuring her detective, Lord Peter Whimsey. The novel's title, The Nine Tailors, refers to the nine strokes of the passing bell rung for the deceased. The story begins when Whimsey's car breaks down in a small English village called Fenchurch St. Paul. It's New Year's Eve. Whimsy is asked to fill in as a bell ringer for the church's nine-hour peal, a traditional ringing of the church bells. The plot takes a sinister turn when a body is found in a newly dug grave. Whimsy is drawn into a decades-old mystery, including a missing, a missing emerald necklace and a cryptic code within the church's ancient bell-ringing patterns. Dorothy, Sayles, Dorothy Sayers' novel, The Nine Tailors, is a quintessential example of the golden age of detective fiction and is celebrated for its compelling plot, richly drawn characters, and unique incorporation of the art of bell ringing into a murder mystery. Today, we're excited to talk about The Nine Tailors with, uh, with our guest, and it's a, our final book selection of 2023. You can find more information about all our 2023 and 2024 book selections at tetonicandtoxin.com and on Facebook and Instagram at tetonicandtoxin. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Welcome, Dan Drake. Welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here. Dan, when we were emailing back and forth before the episode, you said several things that cracked me up <laughs> and reminded me of Lord Peter himself. Um, I don't, I don't exactly know where to start, but maybe one of them is about uh, rare book auctions. So you were mentioning going to a rare book auction in London. Uh, I thought, what a Lord Peter thing to do. That was one of his first hobbies we were introduced to in Whose Body. And then you told me about an even more Lord Peter moment. Would you share that here on the podcast? Oh, uh, wait, I'm... <laughs> it was when I'm... you forgot your catalog. Yes, <laughs> exactly yes, yes, yes. out of Lord, out of Whose Body. <laughs> right. Well, right. So, uh, <clears throat> yes, I had actually, well, for, for one thing, going back, a little before I, I had been uh, bought things at a San Francisco uh, uh, auction house before, so I had had the had had the experience of going to the auction and bidding on things, um, and had began to, began to have a feel for the particular subjects that I was buying things in, which was not rare books at the time. Um, uh, so anyway, I saw the announcement of this uh, on the Lord Peter interest group i saw an announcement of an upcoming auction and so i checked out sotheby's uh, website in london and uh, and bought their ordered their catalog for the ta for the thing um and uh, so you know very the whole process is fairly simple yeah you walk in looking respectable and you can go to uh uh you can go in and examine the goods before the auction, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, and then at the uh, 
when they at, at auction time, you simply register, uh, register and get a numbered paddle. And uh, and when the auctioneer calls out a number for an item, calls out the item that you want and calls out a, a bid price, you hold up your your paddle if you want to bid. And of course, if three other people do, the first one gets gets bid that much. And then the up goes up it up goes by the table of increments. That's the next bit. Um, very simple, <clears throat> mostly foolproof, and uh, and so the, the the mechanics of it is not is not particularly good. Sometimes you get interesting things. By the way, uh, I was in the was in the lobby once at Sotheby's in London, and uh, and I watched on on closed circuit TV. Uh, uh, Auction that was going on a couple of rooms away, and they sold a Shakespeare first folio mm. for about five million pounds. That's wow. the spot. A lot of money. There's only one bidder. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that let's see. That's that's the mechanics of it. And and uh, and I did specifically the thing that brought me there was that they had a whole lot of Dorothy L. Sayers possessions mm -hmm. uh, from, from that. I think it was the breakup of the estate, the liquidation of the estate of, uh, of her son's widow at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, no, no no offspring. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so that was interesting. And, and I did buy several things of great interest uh, there. Uh, I also met uh, the uh, the didn't meet at the time, uh, spoke with the chief of the Marion E. Wade Center at Wheaton College, which we'll probably talk about mm, later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was a very interesting uh, gentleman. Um, anyway, let's see, I think that, that's the story. I did, I did acquire quite a pile of documents and, uh, and first several first editions, and also I think a couple of other first editions that I have of them were, I think, the, the source of them was the group of dealers who bought a whole pile of, uh, of her assorted books, which were too too large a thing for me to try to uh, to to want to bid on. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, that, that's how I got that's that's how I got started in the thing, and why I have some some Sarah's first editions, which incidentally go nicely with the uh, with the my father's uh, collection of Holmes goods, which includes includes. Uh, Bound, bound editions of some of the Strand magazines, which oh. contain many early poem stories in their, their first printing. Mm -hmm. So, n nice little library. That's nice. awesome, yeah. I have major library envy <laughs> here. I love old books, and I don't know, I don't own anything as significant as any of that. Mm -hmm. You mentioned kind of a, a, an interesting aspect of that. You or able to purchase unpublished works, um, and you are not at liberty to publish them, though, right? So you don't yes. you don't own the copyright. Who owns the copyright, and you own the work? That's an interesting story, uh, and would involve my getting some expert legal advice <laughs> from from an expert in copyright law in the United States, who could not tell me anything about copyright, not as a lawyer, tell me anything about mm -hmm. copyright law in, in England mm -hmm. because it was not, but he. But he he could hint at it. Uh, mm -hmm. He's not qualified to give legal advice on that. So uh, yes, the story is unpublished. First of all, uh, you know the, 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 your copyright lasts for a certain, certain number of years. Mm -hmm. uh, a 
vastly expanded that that amount around 2000 uh, big copyright acts and which made things more uniform and in some ways more sensible <laughs> and also extended everybody's copyrights for a long time so that Disney wouldn't lose any copyrights for a long time <laughs> and other vested interests okay but the uh, unpublished works have their own copyright law which oh. is more stringent uh yeah there are first of all the timeline is much longer you have the Dorothy Osiris works are beginning to come into the public domain now mm -hmm. because it's a long enough time since their publication and and since she died which is the uh, a key piece of it mm -hmm. um and uh uh but her unpublished works are not out of copyright mm -hmm. they're mm -hmm. tightly bound by copyright uh I own the pieces of paper but I don't have right a right to uh, to publicize them to re to reproduce them, um, and uh, that that's that's the kind of restrictions I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, I did I do have uh, I'll mention it here and uh, not want to get into any detail on it. That I do have a collection of papers from uh, uh, from a big controversy she was in mm -hmm. about anti-Semitism, and uh, and uh, the fact is that you look up. Look up anti-Semitism in Wikipedia or anywhere else. You'll get, you will not get an authoritative statement because the really authoritative stuff is buried in copyright. Mm. And I have, I did make a polite request to get some very small rights in regarding that. Mm -hmm. And and hey, what would what would, what about could I do some real republication of it? And they took a long time. Their agents took a long time to uh, answer and said there were some things that held them up, but the owners of the copyright uh, were, were, wouldn't allow any of this mm. under any. You cannot legally make a Xerox copy for your own use, wow. of, uh, much less a Xerox copy for somebody else mm. of, uh, for, uh, of uh, un, 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 uh, unpublished works. Wow. So, uh, you said she didn't have any offspring, though, after her after her son and his son her son's wife, or who owns the copyright now? Uh, that, that's it. it. Passed. It passed uh, pre to, presumably to her son, of mm -hmm. course, and then to his wife, mm -hmm. and there there and there are no no heirs after that, mm -hmm. and uh, and so apparently it went in her will to as the the rumor says that. It went to a school in England, uh, and oh. so they own that copyright. Okay. And of course, they own the, they own the. Uh, uh, I don't want to get to to by too much. <laughs> in any case, they own the copyright, and they are not, and they will gladly license you at a considerable cost to, <laughs> to republish the published uh, published works. Sure. Uh, but uh, but not the unpublished ones mm -hmm. because. Uh, uh, Guess why? Whether they think that it's distributable or not. Hmm. Fascinating. That's that's really cool. Um, and it does it does sound like a very Lord Peter pastime. <laughs> yes, yes I can't I can't pick up the phone and call the Archbishop of Canterbury. No, no, maybe not that. Well, I mean, have you tried? <laughs> <laughs> no, Lord Peter went. Lord Peter, of course, did it. But yes, I haven't tried. Yeah, he had a lot. He had a lot of inroads to high ups, um, for sure. So, one thing that's really interesting to me about the Nine Tailors is its structure. So, the first I I had put in my notes the first fifty pages or so, but really it's about the first 
fifth of the book or even quarter of the book is really setting up a story. It's setting up bell ringing. It's setting up the setting, introducing us to a variety of characters. But we don't know that there is any murder or crime or anything to investigate until quite far into the book. And this sort of, you know, I, I was putting in my notes, like blew my mind, right? I, I was reading this and thinking, okay, this is the longest stable context. I kept waiting for it to be destabilized. And so at first it, it bugged me, but there are certain things about Dorothy Sayers that just, they throw me. And so I've got to sort of sit with them and think about it. And, you know, I stuck with the book. And by the end, she does as she has done with me to date. She won me over. But this is a really unconventional way to write a story where you're reading it really for the story without understanding that it's a mystery for for a substantial amount of time. Um, I mean, Dan, in your experience, is is Dorothy Sayers really playing with the the mystery form, the story form? I mean, would she have been like cognizant? She she was so educated, she must have been of what she was doing here and how this is not a, a common or typical way to start a story. You're right. Well, it's true. Um, it, it, it is very atypical. Uh, it's 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 very different from. Uh, from uh, Whose Body, which starts with a phone call about mm-hmm. a body in the bath mm-hmm. wearing only a fascinate. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, uh, very, uh, it's very apparent for a long time uh, before strange things start happening uh, and more, more or less macabre kinds of, sort of things. Um, I can't really say. She did experiment. I mentioned that she did one that decided to do a classic uh, railroad timetable mystery. Mm-hmm. That worked. Except uh, I'm bored by railroad timetable, <laughs> uh, yeah. and uh, uh, she she did experiment and and set out in various directions. I I think this is uh, distinctly the slowest slowest mm-hmm. start. Yeah, mm-hmm. the longest longest uh, setup of the situation mm-hmm. uh, before you even knew what what might what strange thing might have happened. Yeah, yeah, it helped me a little bit. Um, because I was reading the story around Thanksgiving, and so I knew this story is starting New Year's Eve. And so I kind of felt like I was sort of embracing the holiday element <laughs> of it, the New Year element of it, and um, the foreignness of, of the campanology and and what these characters were doing for nine hours, which um, is it's incredible. And... Um, Another thing she does, I think that's really interesting, and I noticed it in Whose Body and also The Nine Tailors, is she has a very interesting or very strange manner of death. Hmm. So the the treatment of the body, the movement of the body, the way the character died. And so there's there's a, an entire mystery around how did this character end up in a bathtub in whose body or how did the character end up in this grave in the nine tailors and then the manner of death how did they die and um you know in the nine tailors it's it's very interesting one might argue that the bells did it right i mean definitely the bells did it is she is she doing this in in multiple novels where she's coming up with these really like super creative out there 
manners of death and manners of treatment of the dead body? It does have a lot of very strange things. There are a lot of, <coughs> in unnatural death, there are various people, mysterious deaths and mysterious not deaths, um, uh, which fall, eventually follow a, uh, fall into a pattern. Um, there's uh, yes, of course, and then and, and the uh, in the in the Scottish tale, there's a, there's a challenge uh, uh, to to indicate, you know, the 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 the, the, the person who fell down into a canyon and died. Mm. Uh, yeah, why 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 do we know there's something fishy about that? Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> Which of course the police didn't, but uh, Peter immediately picked up. Sure. And uh, uh, the, so, but but she do, is does have bizarre, rather bizarre things. Mm-hmm. Even in the uh, the uh, last of the uh, of the books, uh, the busman's honeymoon. Mm-hmm. There's a rather strange, rather strange, mysterious uh, uh, method uh, and dramatic. Uh, murder method mm. there. Which, uh, uh, no spoilers here. But, <laughs> no, no. Uh, she, she, she was noted for for out of the way uh, types of death and and types of evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Carolyn, you reminded me in both those stories as well. There's this element of obscuring the identity mm. that was similar. You know, mm-hmm. in Nine Tailors, they smash the face in and in whose body um, the murdered man has his he's decapitated because he's going to be um, dissected at the medical yes. school and there was something like that too in the nine tailors where yeah. was it the hands were removed they cut off his hands yes. and then in whose body right. they like for the replacement body they shaved him like shaved his beard and put a monocle on him so there was all of this right. kind of <laughs> identity confusing, like mm-hmm. not only is this going to be a weird body, but we're going to obscure the identity mm-hmm. in these surprising ways mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And, and in the, uh, whose body is the leaves, uh, leaves a telltale clue for, uh, for Lord Peter Wimsey to pick up very rapidly to know that the guy had been posthumously shaved. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in this one, we get we get interesting clues from the start, and it's a long time before we know how it all happened. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, he kind of gave up. <laughs> yeah, and time oh, so he God. gives up, but also time passes, and so then you know we we come back around. He comes back into town, and um, and so for all intents and purposes, the story is over. But of course, it's not because there's this apocalyptic event, this this flood that's about to happen, and um, and. Lord Peter Whimsey, at one point the bells are being rung to really inform everybody in the village, you know, we, we need to gather together, that the water is coming. And he, I believe, runs up the bell tower and gets dangerously close to the bells. Yeah, he gets like goes in the bell chamber while they're ringing and it, it gives him a bloody nose. Um, and he almost passes out, I think. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how he... She's like, oh, these things can kill you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, right. It is uh, uh, <coughs> represented as, and it is, a uh, uh, mind-destroying thing. Yeah. It's got a little dim all around you. Yeah, the, the quote is, um, 
So he, he climbs to the ringing chamber, and the quote is, all the blood of his body seemed to rush to his head, swelling it to bursting point. Such a sick giddiness overcame him that he swayed, ready to fall. It was not noise, it was brute pain, a bludgeoning. In tolerable torment, he felt himself screaming, but could not hear his own cry. His eardrums were cracking, his senses swam away. It was infinitely worse than any roar of heavy artillery. And we know he's been in the war, so he yeah. has a point of comparison. Uh, that had, okay, the quote continues, that had beaten and deafened, but his this unendurable shrill clangor was a raving madness, an assault of devils. And, and like you said, blood is running from his nose and ears. So you get the sense of the power of the these bells. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, which I think helps him realize at the end that the bells in their own way, we can argue, are meeting justice, right? They are, they, the bells can kill. Yeah, they kind of refer to that. I, I, I can't remember if it was Batty Thomas or Taylor Paul. Mm. Um, these are bell names I'm referring to. Mm-hmm. But um, they mention other people that the bell had <laughs> killed. Yeah. And uh, like the bell won't abide a murderer mm. being around. Mm-hmm. And um, the bell is very much a kind of a person. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like a holy person or a mm-hmm. biblical person that, that's going to do justice and mm-hmm. not allow for, you know, criminals like Deacon to go unpunished. I mean, Dan, would you so say... Lord Peter says something to the effect of that. I think he says something to the effect that uh, the three things are really, really spooky are mirrors and bells. And I think he mentioned cats. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I kind of agree with that. He considers spooky. Yeah. Would, would you say that, um, Dan, that Dorothy Sayers gave sort of a literary respectability to the mystery form that she sort of lent that sort of, there's like a weight or a, um, I don't know, there's there's a there's a gravity, but also a wit, but almost like she she took a form that writers could easily replicate once they understood the structure and just they could knock out books. But Dorothy Sayers is really she's such an intellectual writer. Her books feel different. I mean, what what would you say about that? Yeah, no, no, I think that's quite true. Uh, it was written. Yeah, written on a more educated level than most than most of the mysteries, even in England. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, she did, of course, write a, uh, an essay called Aristotle and Detective Fiction. Mm. And uh, so, and and talked to the Aristotelian virtues of, of detective fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> part of which, of course, is that law and order is supposed to win. And, uh-huh. Uh, so she talked uh, re- uh, more than once about the about that that aspect, mm-hmm. and uh, yes, not not many people who write mystery stories invoke Aristotle. No, <laughs> that's true. And when when she stopped writing mysteries, I believe she um, worked on translation of the Divine Comedy. Yes, that's right. She published uh, she published Inferno and Purgatory, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Never had time to finish, mm-hmm. so her friend uh, the, uh, and biographer uh, finished it up, mm-hmm. and they, they, all three volumes are available now. Yeah, uh, uh, that that's an interesting thing. She she was very fond of Dante, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, 
of more so than I. I just don't. Uh, mm. I'm not that that that, that enthralled mm. to uh, to to learn uh, ser- serious medieval Latin mm. and. Uh, and do a translation of it. Uh, and it's, what am I saying? Italian. Mm-hmm. And do a translation of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's, it never fascinated me nearly as much. The theology, uh, the theological ideas are fine. She she was praised, by the way, by the by the Royal Astronomer of England by what a good good rendition she gave of of uh, of medieval ideas of astronomy. Wow. So, okay. Talk about respectable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she goes deep. Yeah. She goes deep into everything uh, that she's doing. That's one of the most fascinating things to me about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, I've diverted a little further from the main subject. Uh, I don't know if you've run into a book, uh, an essay called The Lost Tools of Learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look it up, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> it's her essay on, on how education ought to be done. Yes, oh, she, really? It's achieved lots of, of criticisms, most of which I think are wrong uh, for for its approaches, and, and I and I don't don't hold to her to her uh, consideration that the, that theology is the queen of the sciences. Mm-hmm. But uh, but nonetheless, she had a lot of respect for the lost tools, and even if even arguing with her about it, I don't uh, I don't. <laughs> I, I see it's a very interesting thing you probably want to look up. So she wrote The Lost Tools of Education, or she's commenting on it? No, she wrote an essay, an essay called Lost Tools of Learning, which oh. I think was in the National Review during her lifetime, Okay, uh, which to me is not a very great, good omen. But anyway, it's a <laughs> very, very interesting uh, uh, essay that mm-hmm. I kind of recommend because it goes through her ideas of the st- uh, st- stages of mental growth in people. And uh, yeah. and what what sort what sorts of stuff they ought to be taught in these stages to to take to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, no, I definitely want to read that. Mm-hmm. And if I find it, listeners, I'll I'll post a link. Um, for for those of you that have been listening, you know I have a, a four year old and a two year old, <laughs> and so I actually do a lot of thinking about the education of children, a lot of reading. Um, read a lot of like classical children's literature mm-hmm. with them. So that'll be really interesting. And, you know, you kind of, you touched on something about, I wanted to ask you more about, about theology. You said the, theology is the, how did you put it? It's like the, the sciences. I'm sure that's the phrase she is. Foundational yes. science mm. or queen of sciences. No, the mm. queen of sciences. Queen yes. of sciences. Right. Yeah. And I noticed, yes. so in this, in this book, one thing that struck me was the society of the village was so centered around the church. Like everyone had roles mm-hmm. in the church. The church, you know, if you were a part of a charity, that was at the church. You know, education was very church-centered. Guests stayed at the rectory. Um, the whole, at the end, the whole, you know, emergency situation was managed by the church the alarm was rung by the church mm-hmm. you know you had bell ringers you had sextons people oh, they all had a role to play and the whole community was was around that i was i was wondering and and so many of whimsy's quotes actually some of the only few that i get the references to immediately mm. are biblical quotes mm-hmm. um 
so it sounds like was Sayers a, a religious person um, or was this just a sign of the times and just part of like daily culture at that time? Yeah, well, she was seriously, seriously a religious person. Yeah. Uh, she was not entirely, entirely orthodox in all ways. Uh, <laughs> and neither is Lord Peter. Fact, <laughs> that's right. Well, yes, right. I, as I recall, he, she was offered uh, an honorary doctorate in theology by the Archbishop of Canterbury. Wow. Which um, she declined because she figured it, it, it would be politically poor idea. She did actually get some some uh, lesser award, but uh, mm -hmm. she was very serious, very serious Anglican. Mm -hmm. uh, did not want to pick fights with with any with any Christians. Mm -hmm. he, she mocked the low church people who said uh, so and so is practically practically a Roman Catholic. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah I saw there was some mention of uh, oh, I forget what they called them in Nine Tailors, like the nonconformists or something like that. Yeah. They're like, we'll take right. you as well uh, during the flood. You can still come in. Right. So. Yeah, there were multiple groups, yeah. multiple religious groups all housed in the church. Yeah. Yeah. Fen Church, St. Paul. Yeah. yeah. It was. It was she, oh, I, I should mention the, uh, the Lost Tools of Learning is the foundation uh, I've read recently, uh, the foundation of a movement called Christian Classical Education, mm. which is mm -hmm. very popular. Yeah, among the evangelical and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 and uh, that, yes, that would not be my choice of where to educate, how mm -hmm. to educate kids. But uh, but anyway, that's that's her theories. And she did write a bunch of theological works. And, uh, and not to mention the, a cycle of radio plays on the life of Jesus Christ. Oh, really? Uh, that's interesting. Okay. It's if you like her writing, you'll probably like this, even if you don't. Well, believe the theology in it. Um, uh, the, it's a book that C.S. Lewis said he, he read every year. Really? I yeah. find it a little hard to imagine kind of going from the Lord Peter flippancy to like the life of Jesus Christ. Right. <laughs> it, was, it was very, you know, she was serious. She also, also always had a sardonic eye for things. There, mm. there, are, there, are, there are some mockable characters in, yes. in that. In that story. Well, there are in the biblical story, so there you are. True. Yes, that's true. But but that was an important part of her of her being. She was very serious about the and that's and that's why one reason why she uh, did the Dante translation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. I didn't realize that aspect of her. Mm -hmm. I, <laughs> well, more anecdotes. I went to a, a, a conference in about uh, in two thousand. It was. Um, Conference at Grove City College, which is a very, very Christian, uh, conservative Christian college in Pennsylvania, uh, went there because they had a week, week weekend symposium on Dorothy L. Sayers. Really? And I so I did see that, and uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, met, met met interesting people there, but uh, it was. The, 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 but as I say, the, uh, the it, it's covered the various aspects of hers and did not did not leave aside the uh, the uh, her her uh, her Christian teachings, of course. Uh, <clears throat> so <clears throat> it, was a, it was a very significant part of part of her life. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And 
You are you are super involved in kind of the Dorothy L. Sayers community. You mentioned the the Grove City um, Weekend Symposium, and you also mentioned in our conversations Wheaton College having yeah. a lot of Dorothy L. Sayers and and even a was it a convention that you went to there? Uh, several things. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, okay, Wheaton College is a very, is a very interesting place. Um, it's a very Christian college. Mm-hmm. It is formally evangelical. And as far as I know, I, I believe that you cannot teach there unless you at least self-identify as evangelical. Oh, right. I didn't realize any of this. <laughs> they, don't have a, they don't have an official church to belong to. That's a good thing about them. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and uh, it is very interesting to, to me. I, and I've visited there numerous, several times and uh, quite uh, felt quite comfortable there. They have... In a, a organization called uh, a subsidiary called uh, the Marion E. Wade uh, uh, collection of, uh, of 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 Christian English Christian writers, hmm. uh, seven of them, and uh, apparently uh, uh, if, if there's one Scotsman in the group, George McDonald, <laughs> but uh, he's an honorary Englishman here, uh, and. Uh, and you know that who do you expect? Uh, Dorothy L. Sayers and C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. Hmm. There are three are three of the specialties mm-hmm. that are especially favored there. Um, but anyway, they are they are not your uh, media stereotype evangelicals. They're not out to evangelize everybody all the time. Uh, they are not narrow-minded. I uh, have had great and uh, enjoy enjoyed meeting with people there mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of lot, lot of. Uh, Live, live wits there and serious scholarship uh and uh uh and they're and the people at the college of course are mid, do their midwestern courtesy for some, <laughs> sometimes causes incredulity among coastal visitors oh right, yeah it's a i married a californian and sometimes he tells me about a lot of culture shock things <laughs> that he's run into in his life right uh, but anyway, so so it's a very interesting place. And mm-hmm. the one year only, 2017, they held they held a uh, Dorothy L. Society Society uh, convention uh, that which was very good. It was uh, convenient that that Wheaton itself is a nice town. That's um, a very comfortable place. And they have good restaurants. And <laughs> since since the uh, since the, the her, her a largely English group of can, people who are expecting to who are expecting to drink their beer. Uh, mm. There is no alcohol on that campus. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, but the evening we got, got away, and at noon time maybe also uh, got away and uh, and uh, had jolly dinners there uh, with our international group. Mm-hmm. That's funny. So, I you know everyone wishes they could do it again, but you know to do a, th- a big thing like that, somebody has to take hold of it. Sure. <laughs> Nobody's ever done that. Mm-hmm. Now, didn't you say you presented some songs there? <laughs> did you yes. sing the songs, or what, how did oh, this happen? Sure. Yes, well, <clears throat> as it happened, I was, uh, yeah, I required, required a lot of papers, as I say, miscellaneous things, right. uh, uh, various collections. And I was going through them one time a few years ago, 
and I noticed something I hadn't really paid attention to before. There were a couple of sheets of musical manuscript paper with uh, with uh, music on them, written on them, and uh, they were apparently written as a presentation to Sayers by a composer named Richard Dixon, whom I've been totally unable to follow, and I've asked him <laughs> properly. Uh, and yes, there are two, two short songs, and I don't think I'll sing them. But uh, <laughs> the one, one was a, was a, I'll probably sing one line from one. One was a, a there's a poem in, in uh, Busman's Holiday, there, the last of the novels. Mm-hmm. There's a poem that, uh, that, uh, that Lord Peter recites to, uh, to Harriet. Uh, uh, I would say that Lord Peter and Harriet and, uh, and Dorothy L. Sayers were, were fans of John Donne, mm-hmm. who were really complicated and generally religious, sometimes salacious, but other times... <laughs> uh, my favorite poetry. poet is uh, John Donne. Oh, really? Yeah, John oh, Milton's my cool. second, but I love John Donne. I studied him a lot. Very cool. Yeah. I, 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 I believe in the first part of the century, the last century, uh, they, he, he, was, he was had a considerable vogue mm-hmm. after a couple of centuries of, of totally ignoring. He probably knew more about that. So, uh, uh, he had quite a vogue, and people like T.S. Eliot were mm-hmm. very, very interested. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so this song, so one of the songs is the one that uh, that uh, is a, a, is a verse to a verse that uh, that of John Donne mm-hmm. that uh, that that is occupies a, an important scene in in that in that novel. Uh, uh, but uh, and the other song. Is a is a the words are a uh, uh, half of a sonnet written in uh, by by Lord Peter Whimsey mm. in uh, Gully Night, uh, and uh, that's a worthy a worthy thing too. Uh, she 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 had written in her notebook. She did an investigation mm. of uh, uh, a very pleased uh, uh, placid. Uh, our, uh, poem about the uh, about the Oxford as a place of uh, serious study and people <laughs> devoting their lives to deep and uh, and are uh, uh, on the uh, on the figure of the still center of the turning world, mm. which is a T.S. Eliot's uh. theme. Um, and uh, so she wrote that, and she finished only eight lines of it. This uh, Petrarchan sonnet with six, eight and six structure, and she couldn't figure out how to get the contrast that goes with the six. Anyway, so she wrote that in her notebook. Then when Lord Peter shows up, uh, she lends him the notebook so he can read all her notes about the investigation she's been doing. Mm. And uh, and when he returns it to her the next morning, uh, uh, she finds that he has completed the, he has completed the last six <laughs> <What>? lines. <laughs> uh, the six lines, and I will attempt to sing the first line of it, um, which uh, is just the thing that a man who has been chasing a woman for five years to try to persuade her to marry him. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the thing you send to your lady love. Go, Lay on thy whips, O Lord, let word of praise, etc. Lay on thy whips, O Lord. That's awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that brings together, and, and he of course takes everything she did and inverts it, 
the John Dillon style. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So anyway, those, those two songs I did sing to the uh, to the group. Probably, conceivably, the first time they've ever been sung in public. <laughs> yeah, I am first, sure they are. First, That's awesome. First time in many, first time in a century that had been sung in England or anywhere else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was fun. But uh, anyway, that, uh, that that that's the kind of thing you find when you get get a lot of uh, a lot of uh, fine writers uh, odd odd effects. Sure. Thanks for sharing some of the singing with us. Yeah, yeah, you're like Sayers. You go deep, you're deep into <laughs> yes, it. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I could see why I could see why you like Dorothy Sayers is you're both like very um, interested in, in the, you know, academic study and really embracing a topic and learning everything you can about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and uh, conversely, uh, the things that things like railroad timetables and most of the details of bell ringing, uh, I, I can just ignore them as I yes. ignore so many things in the textbooks and say, well, something else. There are exceptions. That yeah. cracks me up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. So I think your background is so interesting and you bring this great perspective. We will be reading more about Harriet Vane mm-hmm. in, um, in Godey night in 2024. Um, and, that's the only exposure Sarah and I have to her. Yeah. And that was my first exposure to Dorothy Sayers. So we're definitely, I didn't go in order when I started reading. Um, But yeah, I feel like I'll have a much better perspective now. Um, I may, you know, be able to take your advice and read, uh, what was it? Something Poison? Strong Poison. Strong Poison poison first to give my introduction to Harriet. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I love the going in order aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, as a book club, we're kind of going in historical order mm-hmm. of great books, you know, mm-hmm. starting with Edgar Allan Poe, but then, you know, kind of this subplot of going in order on a particular author as well, mm-hmm. I think brings so much to kind of the understanding and the development these stories one of my favorite characters and sarah one of yours i believe is is bunter oh i love bunter so (laughs) he's the best bunter um is this sort of master of many trades he can jump in and do all of these different things and um lord peter whimsy calls him i think an enigma at one point like oh there's so much i don't know you could write a book about everything i don't know about bunter um so do we learn? I mean, in, in this chronology of books, does Bunter, do we get a, a more three-dimensional story of Bunter, or is he always sort of a fascinating enigma? Yeah. How, do he, how does he develop throughout the canon? <clears throat> I'd have to give some thought to that. I don't think he does very much. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Lord Peter is, is is the one, and, and then Harriet Payne, sure. uh, the one that's uh, really being followed there. And the others are... Kind of accessories. Mm-hmm. Uh, Butter is a remarkable fellow, and you'll find he has uh, numerous talents. Uh-huh. Uh, well, actually, actually, in whose body, he was pretty good at, at extracting information. Oh yeah, and, and befriending the butler. Uh-huh. Of, of I so. loved those parts where he just like opened up, and suddenly he went from silent Bunter to mm-hmm. funny, chatty Bunter, and yeah, he got all of this information he was pumping people for. 
And this one, you didn't really see that. You only saw when he got mad at one of the housemaids. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, you just kind of hear, what is it? He's extraordinarily good at music hall imitations. Yes. But we don't get to yeah. Yeah. see him in that state. Yeah. There, yeah. In, in there the- is some uh, other, that we get a little more of him, especially, especially in, in, uh, in, pardon me, uh, Yes, I, I the names sometimes drop drop out of my consciousness. Oh sure. Uh, anyway, in the final book, mm-hmm. uh, the final book that she wrote all of, uh, which is uh, oh, that's very annoying. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, Miss uh, Butter comes through more more. Uh, really? More from oh, the, good. The uh, spoiler. Yes, I, I was not going to do a spoiler. So, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> He he gives a a little presentation to his fellow fellow servants Mm -hmm. uh, at one point, Mm -hmm. uh, 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 and drinking a toast, etc. And uh, Lord Peter is Lord Peter is very amused by the account of this. At one point, I think at one point, yes, yes, I don't know if it's the same place, but uh, uh, once one time, uh, this uh, Bunter says that his mother told him. Troubles are, troubles are like cows. If you don't look at them, they go away. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and Lord Peter made a comment. A comment. I didn't know you had a mother. I think that's a fair. That's a fair statement. I wouldn't have known yeah. he had a mother either. Yeah, I, I love he, was, he just emerged, you know, whole, <laughs> fully formed, mysterious, mysterious, himself. amazing bunter. Yes. Well, unbelievably, Dan, we are almost at time, but I did have two questions, maybe three. I want to ask you. They're <laughs> quick ones, though, okay? So the first two questions would be maybe, do you have a favorite Dorothy Sayers book? But then kind of a, a variation on that theme is, if someone was only going to read one Dorothy Sayers book, what do you recommend? Is maybe the same answer or different answers? That's a very good one. I think my favorite is one that is not highly favored in the in the the thing, which is which is murder must advertise. I paint oh. a lot of memories, and and what and, and Lord Peter is at his varied best. Awesome. In the whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also should be kind of tropical. Topical. He uh, he bus he was involved in busting up a drug drug ring, oh. but. Uh, uh, but anyway, and if I were to say read one, maybe it'd be that one. It's because mm-hmm. it, because because it's in some sense it's weirder weirder than the others. Uh, Lord Peter is going incognito for most of it. He's mm-hmm. leading a double life, in fact. Okay. Probably the playboy who knows all the rich people and can crash rich parties without any difficulty, and uh, and partly the the diligent. Highly educated copywriter, and the fact that he was highly educated is a is a sticky point in the plot. Hmm. Uh, he was he was overeducated for his job as a, as a copy as a copywriter working under a writer working undercover <laughs> to to mister solve the mysterious uh, fall down the down the dangerous stairs, which in, in an advertising agency based on the one that uh, Dorothy Sayers worked on hmm. for a time. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's anening. That's probably my recommendation. So there you have it, folks. Um, and if people if people want to find you, um, 
are you anywhere that's findable? I'll, I'll, <laughs> are you on social media? Are any of your sort of Dorothy Sayers projects? I'll, of course, post the link to the original notes um, where I found you. Do you have any other projects going on on the internet where people might find you? Uh, not really. I, I'm I'm off social media. Mm-hmm. I subscribe to a couple of uh, of political blogs and things, mm-hmm. but uh, but uh, my online things don't necessarily use my my actual name. Um, mm. The the ones you mentioned, the things that can be found at the site ddandrake.com uh, are there for anybody to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think there's any com- complication about getting getting to those. Uh, and also, I do hang out in, to the extent that it exists, the <laughs> Lord Peter group, uh, which is a group on groups.io. Uh, but as I say, that's not very, it's not, it's got lots of good archives. Uh, it's not very active. Well, there you have it, folks. Dan Drake, a mystery himself and hard to find. (laughs) (laughs) We're so appreciative to have had you as a guest on two episodes talking about Dorothy Sayers. Um, This has been a great conversation. And uh, folks, we have a 2024 new list of books up on the website. We've got 12 of them. It's a good time to start reading. Yeah, one, of break. Them, one of them is a Dorothy Sayers. One, yeah, we're going to do Goaty Knight. Uh, I think it's our sixth book or so. Uh, but our next book up for January is The Thin Man by Dashiell Hammett. Published in 1934, the novel's known for its timeless intrigue, clever plot twists, blend of crime and comedy. Uh, we also... We also meet the wonderful detective duo of Nick and Nora Charles, who I love. I love these two people, (laughs) along with their dog, Asta. You can learn more about The Thin Man and all our 2024 book club selections at tetonicandtoxin.com. Be sure to share your thoughts on the website or on Facebook and Instagram at Tetonic and Toxin if you want to potentially get a shout out on air and the world's greatest sticker. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're interested in sponsoring this labor of love, please do reach out. We would love to have you as a sponsor. Would love it. And Dan, we loved having you on the episode. Absolute wealth of knowledge, especially about someone who really needs a wealth of knowledge for these sayers. Well, thank you. I've been uh, quite, quite charmed by the chance to do this. All right. And listeners, until next time, please stay mysterious. 